Hello, welcome to the Capital Employed Podcast. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Alistair McKinnon, who is the manager of the Scottish Investment Trust. In this episode, Alistair talks about the Trust's contrarian investment philosophy, as well as talking through his thesis for investing in two companies, which he feels have great long-term potential. It's always refreshing to hear someone coming from a more contrarian mindset when it comes to the markets, as well as life in general. Before we jump into the conversation, please do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Right, let's jump into this week's podcast. Please enjoy my conversation with Alistair. Hi, Alistair. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks, John. Can you give us an introduction to the Scottish Investment Trust? When did it start and what's the investment philosophy that underpins what you do? Sure. Well, the Scottish Investment Trust was founded in 1887. So it's actually a very old company and it's one of the oldest companies in Scotland, uh, incorporated companies. And it was founded to pool people's capital to invest primarily overseas in the then emerging market of the USA. Really, over the years, there's been a tremendous history, uh, which I wish we had time to go into, including during the wars, where a lot of assets were requisitioned. Over that long period, it served as a vehicle for investors to pool their resources and invest overseas, essentially. Now, it's also become much more common these days to be able to invest overseas. And we are, have a specific niche whereby we're a contrarian investor. So in essence, what we do is we're looking, uh, we think the biggest weakness in investment markets is primarily behavioral. People are always very comfortable to buy stocks that have done well and have gone up and that there's a good story attached to. Where they're much less comfortable is in a stock that's fallen, where things look tough. And even if the valuation looks compelling, people don't want to look through bad news until they actually hear definitive good news. We think that's a behavioral weakness in markets, driven by career risks for the professionals, perhaps for the private investor who's less concerned about that. It's just the whole news media tends to focus on what's working, not on what's not. So that, to us, is, in a one-minute summary, what the trust is. Incredible to see the trust started in 1887, especially in that time period, all the events that have happened. What do you think the secret is for lasting that long? It's tricky. Uh, I think, I mean, I think over the years, there's been obviously some skillful decisions, which I'm not familiar with all of them. And there's probably been some luck along the way as well. I think the biggest thing that has been in the trusts and a lot of other investment trusts favor has been the closed ended nature of the vehicle, which means capital is relatively sticky. Also, the Investment managers, who they've been over the years, can take a longer-term decision than trying to be concerned about what the next quarter or even the next month might look like. It's quite commonly the case across the industry today. Archives we've got are extensive. I remember one of my colleagues was looking through this safe. We used to have the best safe in Edinburgh in the basement. Probably still is the best safe in Edinburgh, but you don't really need it anymore. One of my colleagues was going through it one day and found this sort of watercolor that one of our investment managers had drawn from Egypt in about 1920. 
because people would literally go off, travel the world and mail back their ideas or, or even their purchase and sale decisions following these meetings from all around the world. But obviously, they had a bit of time in their hands, so they're able to do these beautiful watercolours and so on. It's a fantastic story. Hopefully, it can um, continue for another 100 years. So you're, you're quite proud of being a, a contrarian thinker. What are the contrarian opportunities that you see in the markets today? Yeah, I think uh, at a big picture level, uh, sort of macro level, so to speak, I mean, to be honest, it's not been an easy time to be a contrarian in the last few years, because frankly, the best thing to do has been to buy the things that have gone up and to keep buying them. I completely understand, you know, you might, for example, know a lot of the big tech companies, electric car vehicles. They've got a great story behind them, a sort of long-term growth thesis that may or may not come to fruition, but sounds quite good. So that's been by far the dominant theme. The contrarian side of the fence is really looking at companies much more exposed to the kind of real economy, so to speak. The bits of the world that people primarily think are being disrupted out of existence or are just too much capacity and they'll never earn a sustainable long-term profitability again. But I think COVID possibly represented the nadir for that whole way of thinking. So we've had this extraordinary government stimulus, which is for the first time in a decade, putting money in people's pockets. As the vaccines roll out and we get a pickup, a pickup in the economy, not just a, a government funded emergency life support, we're going to see economic recovery combined with lots of stimulus. So we see a revival in these sort of very beaten up areas of the market. So we almost see the market overall as being half the market's almost in this bubble of things can keep remaining excellent forever. And the other half of the market, people are sort of saying, look, I can't see, for example, oil companies. I think these will be, um, uh, in 10 years, we won't be using oil anymore. That That's sort of what the, the market is saying in terms of the way it values stocks. So that's the big picture. In terms of individual stocks, if that's what I think you're always much more interested in, I suppose I'd just highlight two interesting stocks from our portfolio. First one would be Newmont Mining, which is a, a gold miner. It's one of the biggest gold companies in the world. It's got very diverse operations. Its primary output is, of course, gold. There's two things you've got to take into mind when you're looking at a gold company. You've obviously got to take a view on the price of gold. You've then got to take a view on is investing via a miner the best way to gain that exposure. So starting with the price of gold, it's really very simple. We have crossed the Rubicon, so to speak, in terms of monetary policy during COVID last March. We'd had a mantra of austerity was required by Western world governments to balance the books on some sort of time frame, which, by the way, kept being pushed into the, the future. So it wasn't actually happening in a way. But nonetheless, there was an austerity mantra, low interest rates, quantitative easing when things weren't working properly, which essentially basically meant over the last decade or so, if not longer, wages haven't kept pace with the true rate of inflation, but asset prices have. You know, they've gone up a lot. It's caused a lot of problems, which are sort of bubbling under the surface just now, whereby 
You've got a very lit, rich elite who keep getting richer as asset prices go up. And you've got the mass of the population who's not really understanding why they feel poor, feeling like they're not participating in the system. The point of crossing the Rubicon is we've now got to this point where what was seen as crazy theories a year ago, i.e. sort of modern monetary theory, universal incomes, effectively we're getting that now. I mean, this furlough scheme, to take the UK as an example, is effectively a universal basic income. It keeps being extended. Frankly, it will continue to be extended as long as the prospect of mass unemployment remain. So, And that's not just a UK thing. I only mentioned that because that's where I live. But it's a similar thing around the world. People have been well rewarded not to work, and with exceptions, of course. There have been very sad exceptions. The, the mood in markets just now is that we'll get an economic recovery and the governments will stop printing money and they'll start increasing interest rates. We just think that's wrong. The governments have said, or the central banks have said, the Fed, Federal Reserve in particular, said it's going to let inflation run hot. The way they measure inflation is wrong anyway. It's deliberately fiddled to um, make it look low. I think inflation is running, real inflation is running at 10% per annum. I can kind of back that up with my experience in the grocery store with bread and milk and so on. But if you look at official statistics, we're looking at sort of 1% to 2%. The prospects of an interest rate increase are extremely slim because it would break everything currently. So we see at least a decade of extraordinary monetary policy. We're almost heading back to the 70s in terms of the economic outlook. That's the playbook we foresee. The reason we think it will work is that's what people want. That's what people will vote for or where they can't vote. That's what people will support. So that's why we like gold. In terms of the gold miners themselves, I've followed the gold miners for 20 years or so. They used to be valued in a crazy way. Essentially, if you wanted to gain exposure to gold, one of the few ways of doing it easily was through buying a gold miner. It kind of gave, gave you a proxy for the gold price. But in 2004, they launched gold ETFs. Essentially, that gave you as an individual or even as an institution, access to bullion in a very tradable manner. For me, at that point, the investment case for gold miners was extremely poor. They didn't seem, there was no reason to pay huge premiums to buy these things. But fast forward to today, the gold miners really disappointed a lot of people about 10 years ago when, after the financial crisis, the gold price did had a very good run after the financial crisis. And then after the gold price peaked in about 11, 12, gold price fell quite heavily as the crisis in Europe and so on became managed. But what really disappointed people was the gold miners had completely overexpanded and got really caught out by a fall in the gold price. So that kind of sickened investors to gold miners. They thought these things were uninvestable. When I look today at the gold miners, they're on a discount to the wider market in terms of valuation. I mean, taking Newmont as an example, it's on a PE of 14, prospectively, and a yield of 3.7. And that looks, to us at least, very attractive in a market context, given that we have quite a strong view that the underlying metal itself is due a very strong period. So the gold miners generally look very attractive, but the reason they're not being picked up yet, or they're 
treated as sort of trading stocks by the wider market is they're still remembering a decade ago mistakes that all industry made and not saying that actually these new management teams are all too aware of the mistakes their predecessors made and are managed are managed as proper businesses so that they are extremely conservative with new projects and so on. In 10 years time, that no doubt will all change because that's what happens. People get overexcited when things are good and they get too pessimistic when things are bad. That's kind of our whole thesis. So that, that would be one interesting stock. Another one would be a, a more recent purchase, which is called Cheesecake Factory. There's a bit of an interesting history here because I went to, to a trip in the US in 2005, I think it was, or four maybe. We did this sort of whistle-stop tour organized by a broker of lots of companies. So I remember we went to a cheesecake factory, which at the time was this tremendous growth stock because it was rolling out stores or restaurants even all across the country. One thing the stock market loves is the sort of growing rollout story, whether it's in retail or restaurants or whatever. It was very highly regarded. We went into a restaurant, we got a tour of it, explained how it all worked. And, and basically, it was a very nice concept. Kind of, how would you put it? It's a step up from a McDonald's experience. You've got a table service, kind of a nice family type environment, sort of thing you'd like to go with your family and young kids, potentially, or even older kids. But you know, you're not going to get um, Gordon Ramsay in the kitchen. It, it's you know a kind of de-skilled cooking process. So it's it's a sort of mid mid to lower mid price point, but a really good experience. And of course, famous for their cheesecakes. Uh, which, um, but that's obviously not all they do. Now, the reason we found it interesting was, uh, obviously in the last year, it's been tough to be running a restaurant, but Cheesecake, because they've got these big, bigger venues, they can incorporate all sorts of socially distancing measures better than most. Because they're a corporate as well, all the costs and the thinking that was required, they've been able to do in a central location which gives them a massive advantage compared to, say, a mom-and-pop type restaurant as you know, a family-run thing. Because really, that would be the whole the family's whole thinking. How on earth do we rejig the restaurant? Whereas Cheesecake doesn't have, you know, it's got people at head office doing all that sort of thing. They've also been able to open a delivery and takeaway, ser- or takeaway service in particular that was worked quite well as well in the pandemic. And what we see going forward is, as we get a sort of reopening of the economy, People are going to be desperate, we think, to go out to eat. We think that's something that people have really missed. I mean, it's hard work cooking at home all the time. I mean, speaking personally, we as a family have got used to it. But it, it was, um, for example, even just during the school day, you know, your kids would be getting their lunch at school. But suddenly you're having to cook everything at home and it, it's tough. Now, you get into a routine, so it's not so bad. But we think that's something people really enjoy. And I think the evidence from Florida, which hasn't really closed down it's kind of kept open, really, in some ways in the last few months, is that people attending restaurants are the same. It was almost like there isn't a pandemic, so to speak. So we expect a big recovery, people returning to restaurants. And we also think that a lot of competition has been taken out, sadly, by the pandemic for the reasons I explained. I think it's been very hard for the, the smaller competition to survive. So we expect Cheesecake to be in a, a good position. And even though it's not a growth stock anymore, which wouldn't have interested us anyway, so to speak, because you always have to pay a big premium for growth stocks. But the thing we think about Cheesecake is it's actually still a brilliant brand. It's a good concept. And actually, I noticed in my local Costco, they even sell Cheesecake Factory Cheesecake in the freezer. 
So it just gives you an idea, though, of how iconic that cheesecake is on a, on a global sense. Now, actually, I haven't bought one because it's so enormous and it's frozen as well. I thought I'd have to find the moment when it would actually get eaten, but I'll, I'll put that on my list, I think, of uh, what would be a fun <laughs> thing to do. Oh, okay, Alistair. Yeah, thanks for sharing those two uh, companies. Are, are you an avid reader? And uh, what's the most recent book you have read? Yeah, I, well, I am an, an avid reader because, well, first of all, it's a huge part of my job. It, it, basically, all it is in many ways is, is reading. The book I have recently, well, I've ordered, I've only just started reading a few pages off, is now I, it was some guy in a forum was talking about it. So I thought about order it. I had to pay seven pounds for it secondhand on eBay. But it's called Player Piano by Kurt Vonnegut. The thing I found interesting about it, and I've just started reading it, is it, it was written in 1952. It was about a society where machines and computers control everything. And we've got an elite class who control the computers of top scientists and technocrats. They sort of run the society and tell them what to do and monitor everything. But underneath the surface, rebellion seeds. Can't tell you what happened. I haven't read it all yet, but I thought it was very relevant for today, actually, because I kind of feel that's what we've we've built a technocratic class that thinks they can micromanage the economy in a top-down ma- manner, and we are ten years into that experiment. We've had a big test with COVID, but we'll we'll see how it all um, plays out. But I think, as I was alluding to earlier, with the whole inflation uh, argument. I think that is a sign of rebellion. You know, that's the rebellion starting that, hey, I need some money in my pocket. You know, I'm not happy to uh, rent a room and uh, struggle to work while people above me keep watching their wealth inflate via um, government sanctioned boosts to stock markets and other, other asset prices. So I think we're seeing that big change coming. And I think that's probably why, again, why we see this whole inflation thing coming. Sorry, I've tied it into my reading, but that, that's. That's why I thought it was an interesting book. It'd be interesting to see how long this kind of um, money creation can continue before it just gets a little bit out of hand. But yeah, where, where can um, listeners go to find out more about the Scottish Investment Trust and about yourself as well? Oh, sure. Well, probably most information would be found on our website, which is uh, at thescottish.co.uk. Uh, but if you type it into Google, Scottish Investment Trust, you know, we'll, we'll come up. Okay, Alistair, uh, that's brilliant. Uh, th- thanks so much for coming on to the show. Thank you, John.